Hey everybody, welcome to Queer Fears. My name's Kylie. I'm Cassie. And I'm T. What's up everybody? How's it going? It's going as good as it can be. I'm currently recording from a child's pirate ship. <laughs> I've slept in that pirate ship. I have too. I lived in that pirate ship for a few weeks, months. It's good when times. we say live, we mean that. <laughs> lived. Hey. In it. <laughs> Wow. Not just slept. Already starting the roasting. We're like one minute in. <laughs> Look, it's the holidays. I have officially spent one full 24 hours with the family. Of course, I am roasting already. Yes. <laughs> Bless your soul. Oh, uh, by the way, I was just totally touching the cord like big time. So I was like fiddling with it actually. I'm pretty sure I told you no bongos. <laughs> You're like playing with it. You're like, I'm going to play the bongos intentionally. Well, okay. See, so um, at my desk at home, I had the cord stuck onto the inside of the desk to keep it out of the way. Cord control with like uh, this tacky um, gorilla glue stuff. And some of it is still on the cord because I kind of just ripped all that shit off to pack up and come here. Um, and there's still some on it. So I was picking at it. And then I realized Very nice. I was touching the cord. So You can actually like root it along the the uh, pole of the mic, like through the little hook thing for the screen, and you can like root it around and then it kinda controls it. That's what I've been doing. Huh. Alright. Well, you'll have to Mine's not as long now because Charlie ate the other one. Oh, but right. for the little bit I do have I root I root it along the pole in it. It helps. Right, right, right on. Uh, okay, well, uh, anybody got any news, updates on their life? Kylie, you're almost done? Yeah. She's almost done. Only got one week left. <laughs> She's going to be with us so, so soon. Nice. Literally the next time she visits us will be permanent. I'm so excited. And so you're not yeah. coming here for Thanksgiving, right? You're going to stay with your family? Yeah, because they're close by, and I have some, like, projects I need to do for this situation. I got you. But then the next weekend, she will be ours. Nice. The end of our long-distance relationship. Woo-hoo. This is a big moment. Uh-oh. This is a big moment, guys. We've been in a long-distance relationship for four years. Done, done, less than. Le- less than four years, but three like, years, I guess, really long-distance. Yeah. But, like, uh, this is the end. It's coming. Not the relationship, the long-distance. That's wild. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kylie, did Sierra um, tell you about our plans, my plans, that you're going to be my gym partner? Oh, yeah, I got a text about it at, like, 1 a.m. Oh. Yeah, I told her about it. I told her that <laughs> me and Cassie are workout incompatible, so you should be her workout buddy. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's fine with me. Yes, I, I feel like uh, you will come and work out with me more frequently, so, and that's what I need. I need someone that's going to be like, see, I need someone that's going to hold me accountable and then vice versa, but T won't hold me accountable. T will be like, what? We're canceling today? Oh, darn. Darn. (laughs) Yeah. Look, I just, I have a different workout style than you. It's fine. It's fine. We tried a couple times. different people. Just didn't work out. We got to embrace it. Yeah. So that's, that's the plan. We're going to be workout buddies now. About to bring sexy back. We're gonna be super hot <laughs> for Costa Rica, maybe. I gotta get I gotta get fit for this wedding. Uh huh. Uh huh. Exactly. I mean mine. Yeah. 
Your wedding. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I agree. Well, it's Thanksgiving uh, week here in the States. Yeah. That's fun. The time of... Family time. Spending time with the family. Oh, yeah, brother. Yep. It's gonna be a blast. Yeah, it is. I'm really just going to hang out with my parents for a couple days, and then I have to come back and work Mm. on stuff for school. (laughs) Gotcha. Come back to my place of danger. Yeah, I'm a... (laughs) I am in small town, USA, middle of nowhere, Texas. I went to my mom's job today to check it out. She works at this little diner, and I was just kind of scoping out the places that are, like, between here and there. It is a tiny town, by the way. Um, Like, small town murder status. I bet there's some stuff that's happened here. Um, Anyways, I passed by this place, and it's got all blacked out windows, and it's called Lucky Lady Amusements. And I was like, what? What is that? (laughs) So I asked my mom, I'm like, hey, what is that? And uh, disappointingly, it is apparently just an arcade. But uh, with that name, yeah, with that name and those blackout windows, I was sure it was a strip club or something of that nature. Right. But it was not. That's a major disappointment. A major disappointment. Yeah. So anyways, I thought there were some Did you, um... Did you try the Shiner Bach bread at her job? Not yet. We have plans, so uh, she has... She's She's been raving about it, and so I need to try it. Yeah, she's talked about taking us there just to get, like, maybe some appetizers and stuff, really just solely to try that bread, so... Gotcha. Yeah. Well, all right. So maybe if you're, you're nice, uh, she'll wait until you get here. I mean, I should be there tomorrow, so... Right, she tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow. Dude, I was so... I thought you were going Thursday. No, I decided I was probably going to go tomorrow and stay the night. You're going to take the kids? I'm taking the whole damn pack. I already asked her. Oh, wow. She said, she said come on. Um, Yeah, by the way, you're getting... Except for Stark. Stark has to say. But... You're getting air mattress in the playroom, by the way. What? Yeah, because there's me and Serenity, so we got here first. We get the beds. Sucker. Is there an air mattress? Do I need to bring mine? You probably should bring yours. I don't know. Or you could talk to her about okay. it, but um, yeah, there's ample there's amount of space in there for you and your creatures. And um, wonderful. I mean, there's spiders in this room, so you don't want it anyways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can have the spiders. That's all good. We uh, we actually, I woke Serenity up at 3 a.m. yes this morning, and was like, hey, you should come sleep on the couch or on the on the recliner because there are like a lot of spiders in here. <laughs> There's so many spiders. Dude, I don't know. But they're in here as I speak. There's one in the corner, up here in the corner. <laughs> like, and there's another one. There's that creepy. They have all come out to say hello to me. Jesus. <laughs> oh, my God. That's funny. Maybe you'll get bit and be like Spider-Man. Yeah, I doubt it. Well, <laughs> and they were all over here by the, the, the pirate ship bed. So that's why I woke Serenity up because I felt bad. I didn't want to just leave her in here to get bit. <laughs> how did you notice well because i was laying across there's a bed across from this bed and there's a nightlight and it was really bright and i was just staring at it i was like i need to unplug that and as i was staring at it though a spider crawled across that wall which is over by the other bed 
And, you know, I didn't think anything of it. I was like, okay, whatever. It's just one spider. Well, I'm laying there, and, like, five minutes later, a spider crosses the same path as the first one. So I'm like, there's no way that's the same spider. Like, it, unless it did a big circle around the wall and came back, like, there's no way. And so... I come over to look and see where it went because I was like, okay, well, that one definitely, like, I'll, I'll give them this. Most of them are daddy long legs, and that's, you know, fine. They're harmless. But this other one, I don't know what it is. It's a small brown spider. I haven't been able to get close enough to identify it. And so it just kind of, I was like, eh, not taking that chance. So I kindly woke the child up and was like, we should move. So that's what's happening here. So are y'all going to sleep in there tonight? Um... Uh, we did not get rid of the spiders, so maybe not. Maybe not tonight. <laughs> <laughs> You're really not selling me on this Thanksgiving holiday. <laughs> Are there spiders in the playroom? I don't know. I haven't got in there. Do I need to bring the spider spray? <laughs> I don't know. Jeez. You know, I would have I would have gladly moved them outside, because that's what I would typically do. But there's so many. Well, it sounds like there's a whole fortress of yeah, them, though. Like, they sound like they have created a whole commune in there. I think so. Uh, I think it's a spider commune. It's dangerous. They're like breeding flies, yeah. and they're just living their best lives. Which, by the way, they're, they're not terrifying. doing a good job of catching the flies, because there are a couple of flies, and I'm really disappointed in the abilities of these spiders to catch those flies. Well. Yeah. All right, that's what I've got to look forward to tomorrow, folks. <laughs> House full of spiders. Heck yeah. Come on down. Oh, come yeah. on up. Come on down. Come on up, yeah. Come on up. Yeah. Ooh, all right. Nice. Oh, wonderful. Well, on that note, I don't have any more updates. It's been a really uneventful week in my life. Yeah. Um, yeah, not much has happened. I did rescue your doggos today. It's good. Yep. That was, that was the most exciting thing I think that happened, but otherwise, yeah, not much, not much. Yeah, yeah. Leave your dogs with your brother, they said. They'll be fine, they said. Mm, or maybe they will escape fine. because they are bastards and they escape all the time. <laughs> it's fine. They're home. They're safe. Good. Glad. And they ate good. while I was there. All good. as well. I drove up, and they were in the front yard, and I said, Jude, Asher, get over here. And Jude came up, and he stood on his back legs by my car and just did a little tail whack. And I said, don't be looking like that. You're a bad boy. What are you doing? <laughs> Roaming the neighborhood. <laughs> get in that fence. You know, this makes me believe that Tinka's the ringleader because she got put back inside. So they mm-hmm. didn't wander the entire neighborhood, nor they did, and they came back. But uh, there's only one thing missing there, and that's Tinka. So, like, maybe they were lost without her, and they were like, oh, where we go? Where where we go? Maybe. At least they stay together. I appreciated that, you know? Yeah. They're monsters. Anyways, I love them, but they suck. The life. <laughs> the life out of me. They suck the life out of me. They're so cute, though. They are. They are cute. At least they go poop outside. Hey. <laughs> oh. Are you roasting our boy? Oh. Are you are you are you roasting our sweet Shiner boy? No, I never. Shiner is a sweetheart. He's so. He's also a puppo. He is a puppo. He's so something. That that's for sure. He's he's just a little boy. He's learning. He's working on it. And he was a street dog. Pooping is a vulnerable experience for street dogs, so he's nervous about doing it outside. I got gotcha. you. He's scared he's going to be attacked. 
All right, guys. Well, we're at like 13 minutes of banter. So, uh, you think these folks want to hear about some murder, maybe? Yeah, I think they probably do. I think that's what they're here for. Yeah. I think I'm good. I'm going to head out. Oh, you, oh, you good? <laughs> you good? You'll catch us later. I was like, next uh, week. bye. <laughs> <laughs> Said Kylie. That's going without me. Said Kylie never Said Kylie about never. murder. Kylie would never pass up a murder story. Nah, especially not one called The Doodler. The Doodler? jeez. Oh, That's a rough name. Yeah. The Doodler. Yeah. That's who we're doing this week? Yeah, we're doing The Doodler this week. All right. Well, let's, what kind let's of get doodle into are we it. talking about? Oh, you'll find out. Ooh. You will find out. Like doing the doodle or drawing the doodle? I don't know. Doodling the doodle? I don't know. Well, let's find out. My my interest is peaked. Yeah. Let's hear it. I want to hear about the doodler. All right. Okay, guys. Well, I have already started drinking the wine because family. Um. So yeah, if you. Oh, you drinking the wine, Kaka? Oh, hey. But not because of family. Hi. I'm having a bloody beer. Oh, a bloody nice. beer. I like it. A bloody beer. It just sounded really nice tonight. Yeah. I was in the mood for something more savory, so I'm having a bloody beer. Nice. I love it. All right. Well, we've all got yeah. our drinks. So as per usual, guys, if you are out there and you're having a drink with us, cool. If you're drinking tea, cool. Water, whatever. Whatever you got, drink it. Uh, but we are definitely going to get boozy. This one's a doozy. I know it is. I'm the one telling it. So let's get started, shall we? Uh, let's we shall. go. All right, guys. Okay, so as I've already told you, we are covering the doodler. And unfortunately, that is the only name I have for this suspect because this is a cold case that we are doing this week. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, really. Cold cases. Yeah, I mean, you hate them, but also this one just got reopened in 2018, and it happened in the 70s. So we might know soon. So this might be something oh. that could pique everyone's interest, you know, because you might want to go follow it and see what's what's happening with it. That's, so, it's so, like, it's been, what, 40 years? Yeah. 50 years? Yeah. 50 years? 70s? Damn. Yeah, okay. it, like, uh, it, it was between um, 1974 and 1975 that the murders physically were taking place i gotcha okay. yeah so right. it's been a long time i wouldn't just throw a cold case at you guys this one just happened to be reopened <laughs> so i was like well that's cool so we are doing a cold case all right and he is called the doodler and i will go ahead and say because it doesn't really talk about it uh until towards the end as to why he was called a doodler. He is called a doodler not for sexual reasons. He is called it because he was known to attend gay bars and sit in a corner and draw and sketch. And he would do like pictures and characters, uh, character, caricatures, right? Caricatures. Yeah, that You're the artist. That word. Like, hey. How do I pronounce this artsy word? <laughs> Yeah, uh, those um, of people in the in the room. So, and he was known to have kind of lured people in that way. Like someone would come up and be like, "Hey, what are you doing over there?" And he'd show them a picture he had been drawing of them, 
and it kind of flattered them, even though, you know, most of us these days would be like, that's kind of creepy. <laughs> I wasn't even talking to you before. Uh, but that... Yeah, I mean, we did have that one waitress in that uh, restaurant in Austin that drew all of our pictures. That was kind of cool. Yes. She didn't know. Yes. I mean, she oh, was yeah. our waitress, she w- but she drew them on our receipt. Yeah, she was our waitress, though, and I feel like that was kind of her little thing because she drew it on my leftovers top, like the little circle top to my leftovers. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I actually kept it, and I want to frame it because I think it's awesome. But, yeah, she did. She yeah, did. I, I still have my doodle as well. So, yeah, I it mean, was on T's receipt. That, that's a little different. Yeah, you know, she was already working with us and stuff because it wasn't until the end. Well, that's true. Yeah. yeah. She wasn't just sitting over in the corner doodling us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this guy would be, like, doodling somebody and then, I guess, somehow get their attention for them to walk over and it happened to be that person. But, um, yeah, so he'd kind of flatter them with these drawings and that'd start a conversation. They'd hit it off and he'd get them to leave with him somewhere, you know. And then, of course ends in tragic murder but that was that was his deal so that's why the the media and the press gave him the name the doodler all right so this takes place in san francisco and as we already discussed it was between the years of 1974 and 1975 that these murders happened so about an 18 month uh time span of murdering uh, it was it did take place in a couple of areas in san francisco that have been known to be kind of gay communities so one of them's castro there's the Tenderloin, and then there is Polk Gulch. Those are three different little neighborhoods that are in San Francisco that have been known for their gay community for a long time. And so he would go to all these different areas, and they were all close to each other. They weren't very far away. And actually, one of the articles that I read, which is an excellent article that I think if you're really interested in this, you should check it out. It's uh, The Chronicle, which is one of the news outlets in San Francisco that still run today. And uh, the author is Kevin Fagan, and he is currently um, doing his own research on the case as a journalist. So he writes this really excellent article that kind of gives you the backstory of everything. And I think you should check it out because it also it has some really good images and stuff. Like it's got a map of the area and where all the victims were and all that stuff. And we'll post a link to that as well for you guys. So anyway, so uh, yeah, all these areas are kind of close together. And um, all of the areas where the victims were found were pretty close as well, and they were close to these areas. Gotcha. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, so just like with a lot of our cases that we have covered with the gay community, uh, law enforcement is kind of difficult and frustrating throughout the process. Uh, is the 70s, and even in a place like San Francisco that was kind of known to the gay community as like a mecca. It was like an area where they, where people saw uh, the the gay movement take place, and it was it was just nationally known that it was more accepted in San Francisco. But what people didn't know is that although it was very much more accepted in San Francisco at this time, the police force still was not. They were very much still totally against it. There was actually a lot of police brutality that happened during this time period. They would go to bars randomly and like search them and they would be gay bars and arrest people just for being gay because there were still laws against being gay. And actually the laws um, against being gay in San Francisco didn't change until like a couple of months after these murders all took place. Like, 
just being gay in general. And the police were just... That's so dumb. Yeah, and... That's very dumb. Yeah, and the police were literally just pinpointing different bars. They'd go in at random and start arresting people. And, uh... Doing, like, bar raids. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it wasn't a... Which is what happened. Didn't that happen, like, in a... That's, like, what... How Stonewall started, wasn't it? They did, like, a, a raid on... Yeah, so I think this was right after um, that whole movement happened because of Stonewall. I got you. So it was still... Okay. It was still a big problem, and it was still happening... Um, it was so bad that, like, they even, uh, made their own, like, it's kind of like a, what we would call today a, um, neighborhood watch, but it was the gay Mm -hmm. people from the community, and they were kind of on the lookout for, like, uh, police being brutal, and, uh, even civilian, like, people were also being brutal, like, they would, people would just, like, drive past and harass people as they're driving past, and... It was really not good. There was still a lot of hate, even for an area that was well known for being very, very accepting at this time. Yeah, it's definitely what you think about with like San Francisco. Like you, you think San Francisco being like gay friendly. Yeah. So like that, that is something that people don't really realize that even during this time, it, it was still very unfriendly as far as like law enforcement and stuff. I gotcha. Yeah. So as you can imagine, since law enforcement still wasn't very accepting, as these murders start happening, there's not a whole lot of uh, interest in it, as you would say. And it, and it is just very difficult, and just like some of our other cases, difficult for the people from the gay community to even trust the police to come forward if they know anything. So there was a lot of that that's going to happen throughout the case on both ends. Okay. Yeah. One of the uh, first openly gay investigators for the city's district attorney said that during this time, people were getting mugged, people were getting harassed, and people were getting beaten. And he was, he was talking about during the, the 70s in San Francisco there in those communities. And, and also, on top of just like this police brutality and intolerance and stuff, at this time, San Francisco was also being plagued by two other murders going on so one was the zebra killer so that was a bunch of people murdering and they were this group of men yeah there was this group of men who were just going and randomly shooting people like totally random middle of the day like didn't matter what age that's terrible. yeah they were just pinpointing people and shooting them broad daylight just go into the laundromat whatever and they were just shooting people we love america yeah mm-hmm. yeah and so <laughs> That was a group of people that were doing that at the time, and they were called the Zebra Killers. And then also, one that people are more familiar with, the Zodiac Killer was actually at large right now during this time. Okay. So he was sending taunting letters to the Chronicle, so they were dealing with that as well. So that you could see there's a lot going on during this time period. So with all of that, like, going on, and then plus just the intolerance with um, the gay community and the police and stuff, it it was just a big mess. So a lot of... Things could get lost in translation a lot easier. So our first victim uh, was a guy named Gerald Cavanaugh. He was uh, 49 years old, and he was found on Ocean Beach, January 27th of 1974. It was about 1.30 a.m. that the police received an anonymous call from a payphone, and they said on the, the phone call, because they actually have a recording of this, uh, I believe there might be a dead person on the beach across from Yola Street, if you follow the street right down to the water. So they got that call, guy hung up, that was it. 
They don't even know, they have no idea who that was who called it in. It could have possibly been the killer. Um, okay. Yeah. And so at about 1.57 a.m. was whenever the police finally showed up, and they found a body of a man who was about 50 years old, they said. He was balding. He's a little heavy set. He had been stabbed 17 times, both front and back. And he also had injuries to his hands, which, of course, we know that that is a sign of defensive wounds. He was trying to fight off his killer, more than likely. Yeah. Um, and he was he was on this beach, so, you know. I couldn't imagine being, like, a bystander seeing that and having to be like, um, there's a body on this beach. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't imagine either. It's crazy. Of course, he's on the beach, so with the wave crashing and then, like, the sand dunes and stuff, you can see it being kind of an ideal area to lure somebody to because, again, they, they think that what he did was he lured people away from the bar area, even though it was still close to the neighborhoods. It was away from the bar area, and then he would murder them. So kind of this isolated area in the middle of the night. No one's around on the beach. Gerald Cavanaugh was from Montreal, Canada, originally. He was born in 1923. He ended up moving to the United States when he was in his younger uh, ages, like young adult ages. And he spent 21 months in the Army during World War II for the United States. In the 1970s, he ended up in San Francisco. And he, and so the, the people that are currently working on this case so the, the, there's a detective, his name is Dan Cunningham, and he's the one who works for Homicide in the Cold Case Department, and he's the one who reopened the case in 2018. He contacted um, the journalist from the Chronicle, Kevin Fagan, who wrote that article that I was talking about. And um, he, he, with the help of him, they've both been able to like find relatives and stuff of all of these victims. So they did end up finding one of Kavanaugh's relatives. Most of his relatives were either deceased or they just didn't want to talk about it because, one, he was a gay man and they were a Catholic family. And two, I mean, you have a family member that gets murdered. It's not really what you want to talk to people about. Yeah. So they did end up finding a couple of relatives. And one of the relatives was an, a great nephew who did talk to the journalist a little bit more. And he said that he really understands that the reason that his uh, uncle moved to San Francisco when he did is because he probably wanted to be able to live an open lifestyle as a gay man, which makes sense. So that is where he was in the 70s, where unfortunately he did lose his life, but it does make sense that that is why he was there. Um, he was also, his job was a, a furniture finisher and they think that it was at a mattress store. What does that mean? Like staining, sanding, like finishing oh, it up, making okay. it that I, touching it up, making that's it. That's not where nice. my brain went, but that yeah. makes total sense. Okay. Yeah, and so again, he just he didn't have a whole lot of family left. Um, he did seem very lonely, which was really sad. They didn't even take his body back to Canada. They left it in um, California, and he was actually buried in a cemetery in Colma. The journalist and the detective that are currently working on it, they actually went and found his grave, saw it and everything, and that's how they know that that's where he was, which also kind of helped them narrow it down to find the family members that they did find. Uh, that, that was, that was uh, the first victim. That's really all the information we do have about him. 
they did say that uh, he seemed very lonely. And of course, with the lack of family and stuff, that kind of proves it. And after this, there were unfortunately four other people who were possibly murdered by this particular suspect, which we again, we have called the doodler. And despite the fact that they had two of San Francisco's most su successful detectives working on this case at the time, it still, as you know, did not get solved and is still not solved to this day. And fun fact, those two detectives, the, the ones that are super successful, were actually one of, or two of the only black detectives at the time in San Francisco. Hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. The reason that they were so successful, that they think, is because more people would talk to them about stuff. You know, they, they didn't come off as the typical, like, intim intimidating asshole cops. Yeah. And so they had a lot of sources, a lot more sources and stuff. They were very successful usually in figuring out crimes and, and solving them. So that's kind of cool that they were also the two, two of the only black detectives that worked in the police department at this time. And that they were super successful. I'm sure that got under some people's skin pretty well. But, you know, it is what it is. We have uh, Dan Cunningham, who is that investigator, again, that works with the cold case department of homicide for San Francisco. And I mentioned earlier that he did reopen the case in 2018. Um, and he did call the Chronicle because the Chronicle is, was a news source back then as well. They covered some of the stuff that was happening. Not a whole lot of it, but they did cover some of it. And um, they had a reporter that was working for them at the time that uh, Cunningham was hoping to get in contact with, but unfortunately found out that that guy was in a coma, which oh. makes sense because with it being 40 years ago, a lot of people are either really old or not even around anymore. Gotcha, okay. So that is, yeah. that is a downside. So he does get in contact, though, with the Chronicle, and that's where he talks to Kevin Fagan, who is the guy who wrote that article that I was mentioning earlier. Mm -hmm. And Kevin Fagan gets in contact with um, a retired reporter named Mike Taylor, who he's working with as well. And so if you guys are like really digging this information and you're, you're digging the cold case thing, Kevin Fagan actually also has a podcast that's kind of covering what he's been going through so far since it reopened. And it's really interesting and it's got a lot more information than I'm going to cover. So if you want to check it out, you just look up the doodler on any podcast. I saw it on Spotify and Apple. Um, and it's even linked on that article. And there's a lot of really good stuff in there. So if you're interested, That's go cool. check it out. He's got, he, he has conversations that he has with Dan Cunningham, the detective, and with Mike Taylor, that retired reporter. Nice. Cool. Yeah, it's, re it's really interesting. So, and they go in more in detail about the two detectives and kind of just more information about them and stuff and what they went through during that time. So yeah, it's really interesting. I highly recommend. Okay, so we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna move on to our next victim. So the first victim was January 27th of 1974. And now we are at June 25th of 1974. And this one, uh, a lady was walking, she was just going like on a morning stroll at Spreckles Lake, which is in Golden Gate Park, which is very close to Ocean Beach, this whole area. Golden Gate Park, if you're unfamiliar with San Francisco, is kind of like a Central Park to New York. So it's just like this big park that's kind of 
in the middle there that's like in the middle of all the city life. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, so she was walking down Speckles' leg and she notices a body that's over by a tree. And so, of course, she calls the police to come and check it out. They do not tell us who that woman was, so that is an unidentified woman who finds him. The next victim was known uh, as Joseph Stevens, but he was a professional drag queen in San Francisco, and his stage name was Jay, J-A-E. So he's fabulous. Yeah, so he's kind of mentioned as both. Uh, I saw some articles that said that he was trans, but... Uh, for the most part, I didn't see that, and even family members didn't say that. They said that he did identify as a male outside of his drag show, so I will refer to him as he. Uh, but I'll go by Jay, because it did seem like he did go by Jay more often. Jay was 27 years old, and he, of course, I just said was a drag queen, and he was a absolute star. He was well-known in all of the communities there. He did performances all the time. Uh, lots of people said that he was, like, the most stunning drag queen ever. He was absolutely beautiful. Queen. Yeah. And they said he was, like, he was a package deal. Like, he could sing, he could dance, and he didn't lip sync. He actually sang. Oh, get it. And uh, he was also very funny. So he was he was a com- comedian <laughs> as well. A triple threat. Yeah, seriously. That's what they said. So, yeah, he was really well known. He worked in di- different clubs there. He would perform... Um, one of them happened to be a very popular place. It, it's kind of known, like, worldwide. A lot of celebrities would attend there and stuff. It was called Finocchio's. And he had actually just gotten a position to start doing performances there right before this happened. Mm-hmm. So that's sad. That is sad. Yeah. But uh, I think he was able to still do some shows there and stuff. But he did on, at all different places in the, in all those communities. Uh, the last place that he was seen was leaving the Cabaret Club that was in North Beach, where he had just performed. They said that he did an excellent Julie Andrews oh. per- performance. Um, we love fabulous. that. <laughs> we love Julie. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but they also said that he was going more towards uh, gay comedy. He was still doing drag, but just he wanted to be more of a comedian. Gotcha. More than, like, the performing part. I gotcha. Okay. But not, nonetheless, he was great at all of it, apparently. Uh, and everybody really spoke highly of him. There was a guy named Kirk Frederick who was a drag star assistant for someone else. And he said, for somebody as open and gregarious and funny on stage, he was really soft-spoken. Very quiet, very modest. You would give him a compliment and he would almost turn away in embarrassment. So he was just like a little sweetheart. But then he was just this big lively person on the stage, which I think is kind of beautiful yeah i agree yeah yeah jay was last seen leaving the cabaret club on north beach uh so it was probably you know 1 2 o'clock in the morning it was after the clubs shut down and what they think happened is that he probably drove himself and the killer to this park because his car was found nearby so he drove himself and his killer to his place of death, Damn. which was a, a private place by a, a lake where it wasn't a lot of people there. And the thing was that he was luring people to places where often guys would go to do naughty things in the middle of the night after they left the club. So it kind of makes sense that it was the beach, it was by the lake, because he was talking these guys into going somewhere where they thought they were going to have a little fun. And they were not going to have fun. <laughs> 
<laughs> this was not gonna be a good time it was not gonna be a good straight time. up not having a good he, time bro. Uh, yeah not at all so he was also stabbed front and back he wasn't stabbed nearly as many times he was stabbed about three to five times i got conflicting sources there but he was beaten so badly that he was almost not recognizable dang that is uh, very sad yeah um he so a little backstory about him he was actually born in texas and like many yeah like many young gay men at this time he relocated to san francisco and he did you know if i would have could right yeah um if i if i would have that backwards if i would have could we got you we understand it's all good we we understand it's late it's all good (laughs) only four more work days All right, so he uh, he did move to San Francisco um, in his younger years, and he just kind of he lived there for a while. Obviously, he stayed there. And again, there's there wasn't much about his family either. So these guys who are currently working on the case try they try because they're trying to piece it all together. So they keep trying to reach out to like anyone possibly that could be associated with this case. So they start first with family members. And so this, his backstory is a little wild. It doesn't, it's not exactly about him, but I just found it really interesting, so I couldn't leave it out. Um, And this is in that article as well. So he had a sister named Alma Teresa Stevens, and she, like, lost her shit after he got murdered. And so three... Um, I would too, geez. Yeah, well, maybe not like this. So, oh, okay. three months after his death, she dismembered her mother oh. and put her in the oh. fireplace and burned her alive. Or not alive, she was dead already. She's dismembered and burned her body pieces. <laughs> sorry. It's not funny. Yeah, but... I'm sorry. No, no, you're laughing at I'm me. I'm laughing at you. <laughs> just horrible mistake. Yeah. You just... <laughs> I know. I know. I know. And then after she did this, she took a sledgehammer to her other sister's Jesus. head. Jesus. The other sister. Holy Such shit. Such rage. Yeah. What the fuck? Well, the other sister. I know. Well, it said that she thought that, like, evil spirits came from his death or something. And she just went batshit crazy. Damn. Um, and so the other sister did survive, though. So she lived. Alma was put into an institution for the criminally insane. I would certainly hope so. Yeah. Um, she was pregnant, so she had a baby. Oh, while she was there. Wait, was she pregnant when she like yeah. did all the sledge hammering, dismembering Dude, everything? Probably. I assume so because I don't know where she would have had the time between getting caught and that's... and getting off. <laughs> that's, so, that's fair. That's fair. Dang. I I I assume she already was. So she did have a baby while she was in there, and of course they took the baby. And so the reason that, that I'm mentioning all of this is because the person that they actually talked to who got them in touch with his other sister who got attacked was that baby. So they, they first got in contact oh with the niece that came from Alma, and the niece didn't say a whole lot, and she wanted to keep her name out of it and everything. So it's understandable. Yeah. But she did give them the number to his sister, his the, the sister who got attacked, and she she did live in the Bay Area with him for a while, And then after all that crap happened with her sister and everything, she moved away. And then she moved back to the Bay Area in 2004. Gotcha. After her sister passed away. Her sister died in 2004 and she moved back to the Bay Area. So I guess she just kind of wanted to just be away from all of that. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, Her name is Melissa uh, Honrath. And she said 
tons of great things about Jay. She apparently had spent a lot of time with him. She was very close to him. She would go to his shows. She said that she even sometimes like starred in his shows as like the female mm. person. And so she loved him a lot and she said a lot of great things about him. She also, of course, just like everybody else, said he was beautiful, he was talented. She said that if he didn't get murdered, the sky would have been his limit. Oh, that's heartbreaking. Yeah, and I know. And mm. she said that when they were younger, they would put shows on together and that she just thought he was just the most fantastic person ever. And she also, she didn't even know about like this whole case. Like, all these years, like, she knew he got murdered, but she did not know that he was, like, a part of this, like, serial killing. Dang. Until recently, and then she was just kind of like, so where is this guy? Like, what is happening? Who is he? What is this doodler? Like, she, like, has the same questions everybody else has. Like, what the hell? Yeah, I gotcha. Yeah. So, that was uh, the story of Jay Stevens. Very, very beautiful human being, it sounded like, gone way too soon. Poor bub. Yeah. And so just just a reminder right now, so like the, the cops are still just not getting a lot of like they're they're not really looking into this nearly as well as they should be. Typical. They haven't quite con So at this point No, go keep going. I'm probably asking too soon. Oh no, it's fine. Um so at this point there are only two victims and they're not really connecting those two just yet. So that's understandable. But it's still just like just a lot of frustration as far as everything with the police and the communities going and stuff. During this time, actually, uh, some cops had drug a gay man from his car, and they beat mm. him so badly that he had suffered severe brain damage. Why? Like, what was and the purpose? Like, why did they even stop him to drag him it from was, his car? It was just, I don't know, it was just a hate crime. It was a That's big thing that happened during this fucking time. Fucking ridiculous. So maybe we should look into that police officer being the dude. <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> right? Plot twist. Yeah. Well, and so, so with this guy, the reason I'm bringing this up is just because it just goes to show that people just were not willing to talk during this time either. So these cops, they didn't even get charged because the guy, his name was Lawrence Candler. He wouldn't even... Mm, Candler, uh, doodler. Interesting. Yeah. Well, no, that was the guy that got beat. <laughs> oh, shit, never mind. No. <laughs> I thought you said it was the officer's name. No, no it, was, it was two cops, and I don't know what their names oh, okay. were. But Backtrack, I never do mind. Think it yeah. <laughs> I do think it might have said their names, but I didn't put it in my notes. I gotcha. so. Well, fuck them. We don't care anyway. Um, yeah, but Candler had declined making a formal complaint about it, and they paid him off. They gave him, like, $260,000, but the cops were never charged with anything, so that's kind of like, eh. I mean, probably because nothing would have happened yeah, exactly. to the cops anyway, so might as well get some money out of it, jeez. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's... Like, when stuff that like this happens... That guy in the last case. <laughs> the 2500 yeah. Um, yeah. Like, I feel like there's also just lots of times where police end up being protected by, like, the departments and their, like, peers and co-workers and stuff, that a lot of the time when things like this happen, especially, like, even recently talking about, like, all the Black Lives Matter things, a lot of the time those police officers' names, like, aren't even released. They don't even tell you who the police yeah. officer was in, like, some of these killings. And so there's just, like, this yeah. protection thing going on, and it's just, like, yeah, you don't expect much to happen. It's ridiculous. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and that, and that was probably a lot of it, too. The, the guy probably thought, oh, no, shit's going to happen. They're offering me all this money. Like, hell yeah, I'm going to take Might as well that, take it because that's going to happen anyway. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so there's just a lot of a lot of crap happening to where people just weren't. They were just maybe not even trying because they thought nothing was going to come of it, and they just didn't trust the police and the police yeah. were being awful. That's fair. Like I wouldn't even blame them, especially like during this time where stuff like that's happening. And we're like, what's the point? Might as well just take the money and better my life if I can, because nothing's going to yeah, happen to you no. anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So that is sad, but that was just kind of the what was happening like cultural then, climate of the time to yep just to yeah. piggyback on that and just to give more example of what exactly the the feel of how things were going during this time um actually so harvey milk who we might do a case about in the future right um kylie's already yeah, researched he, it <laughs> yeah well, he was, he was like a profound person of this community, obviously. Yeah. And he had handed out whistles to people, which sounds so silly, but he literally, he was like, I don't know what else to do. And he was handing whistles out to people in the community to be able to blow their whistle if they were being attacked by even, you know, a police officer, just to have someone else come over and like witness That's so it, crazy. I didn't know? know that. Yeah. Huh. Yep. And I also heard, so on that podcast... Um, Harvey Milk actually attended, he, he was a person who would show up sometimes to do rotations for that, that civilian neighborhood watch thing. Cause they would run like two shifts. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. Like, especially at nighttime on the weekend. Yeah. And he had actually taken part in a couple of those. Thanks. All right. Harvey was a good man. He's a good dude. All right. So we are moving on. We're going to talk about our third victim. And this man was found July 7th, 1947. He was, his body was found at the foot of Lincoln Way by Ocean Beach. So it was, again, back at Ocean Beach now. We did have somebody over at the lake, but now we have someone back at Ocean Beach. He was found by a woman whose name was Taba Weiss, and she was walking her dog down the beach when she found the body. Um, the, the podcast said that she was a Holocaust survivor. And so she was just oh, wow. kind of like, eh, I've seen this before. Way to see one more <laughs> fucked up thing. Right? Yeah. So she called the cops and she stuck around to like talk about it. Some of the other people didn't. They just called and were like, I'm out. So yeah, his body was found on the beach as well. Or by the beach. It was not quite on the beach. And his name was Klaus Christman. And he was a German national. He worked for Michelin. And he was here in the United States. He was here for like three months. He was visiting a friend, um, a guy that I that they think he met in the uh, in Germany. The guy was there stationed in the army, and so he came over to the United States to visit him. And so he stayed with him for about three months before this happened. Uh, he was married, and he had a wife and two children back in Germany. They did not know about his gay tendencies. They didn't think he was gay, but he was obviously frequenting the gay communities here in the United States, so maybe it was his way of breaking out, and maybe he even had something with his army guy. I don't know about that. It didn't say that, but it's possible. The army guy was married too, though, but who knows? I don't know. Speculation here. <laughs> so, and then again, on that podcast that I listened to, they do actually get in touch with his daughter, and she, they do ask her, they're like, did you ever think he was gay? And I guess he had worked. At like a gay bar back in Germany whenever he met her mother so she was like I mean I guess it could have happened but she kind of just stopped asking about him after a while because she knew that like the whole thing just made her mom sad 
and she was young, so she was like, I really don't know. I mean, that's understandable. Yeah. So they didn't get a whole lot of information on him, so I don't have a lot of his backstory other than he was from Germany, um, and he was here visiting. So his body was found, and he was stabbed 15 times, front and back. Jeez. This one was a little bit more severe. He was stabbed three times in the neck as well. And he was stabbed so severely that he was almost decapitated. Oof. Oh, like how do you? Yeah. How do you like stab somebody so severely they're almost decapitated? You know, like because the stabbing's like you got like a knife, like a blade that's maybe like what an inch thick or so, unless you're using like a fucking machete. But then it's like two inches thick, and you usually like chop with that. You don't stab. So like. Yeah. How would you know? Because me and Cassie chopped down her entire backyard with machetes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, <that's> <laughs> but literally like how do you stab somebody so much that they're almost decapitated that's that's insane well these were um speculated as like severely rage killings just by the way they were well, yeah times they were stabbed yeah. and so i mean he was really freaking angry apparently. yeah and i'm just thinking about like that's how wide a knife blade is and how many times you would have to like stab to make it be almost a decapitation as opposed to like you know an axe or a machete or something that's made to like swing and chop bruh i don't know my neck is only like three inches wide yeah i'll picture your neck i mean still it is only three inches wide but like singular pierces each time like you gotta stab at least three times with a one inch wide knife to even like go through and so then like to make it almost decapitated you'd have to stab so much yeah that's what i'm saying i mean i'm not saying you got a big neck They, they assume it was a rather large knife he was that's using. Fair. But that's still just really intense. But they really don't know. They, ne- they, never, they never found any um, evidence or any weapons or anything, so they really don't know. My point is just that it's really intense. That's, that's all I'm getting at. Uh, yeah, no, it definitely is intense. Like, it, if you had an axe, uh, fact, even then you'd have to go multiple times probably. And so it's just like with a knife, with a blade, you know, unless your axe is really, really sharp. This is getting too dark. I need to stop. It's fine. Um. Yeah, you're going down a rabbit hole right now. (laughs) I'm overanalyzing. It's fine. Way overanalyzing. It's just just my brain. What the hell? Uh, What was that? Kylie? My computer just started beeping. (laughs) Did you play in jingles? (laughs) You know what? Kylie was like, listen. My smoke alarm got fixed. There's there's no storm outside. <laughs> Let me play you I guys a jingle. Some stress. <laughs> Allow me to play you the music of my oh. people. <laughs> I have a lot of like file or not files like tabs and stuff open from like work and like looking up stuff for That's things. Fair. I thought it was like your alarm on your phone because Kylie so. has like six hundred alarms on her phone to remind her to do stuff. Well, that makes no, sense. No, it's my computer. I need, I need that in my life. She never changes the labels, though, so it's like three months after she'd already done something. It's like, do-do-do-do-do, send T this text message or email or something, but she sent it like three months ago. Oh, <laughs> It'll be like, send back yeah. textbooks. And I'm like, that was from <laughs> like two years ago. Two years Oops. ago. That's fine. Already did that. I still, I still need that. You can set alarms. You can put labels on. Well, you can do labels on your phone, no, it was on my phone that tell you like when it goes off. It'll have a label telling you like what to do. Like wake up, or it'll say like take Lexapro or whatever, or send back textbooks. You can set a label for it. Oh, y'all 
this. It's pretty easy. Just go to your alarm clock, King, and you'll see label. It usually says alarm, but you can change that label to anything. Oh, I got you. No, yeah, mine, one of mine says that. Yeah. Okay, never mind. Anyway, we digress. All right. So, it was a very severe, brutal murdering, so you're right, the whole neck thing was intense. David Toshi, who was the investigator on the Zodiac case, uh, he was also, he was very popular, well-known, um, said that it was one of the most vicious stabbings he had ever seen. Damn. So that's pretty big. Yeah, so that that's pretty much the gist of that one. Klaus Christman, uh, I don't know if I said he was 31 years old, but he was. So still fairly young, was visiting here. Did not get, they did uh, ship his body back to Germany, so he was able to be buried where his family is. Well, that's good. Yeah. At least there's that, as sad as everything else is. Yeah, it is sad. It's very sad. All these young people are just dying because somebody was angry. Right. Stupid. And clearly sick in the head. Yeah. For sure. All right, so let's move on to our fourth victim. His body was found May 12, 1975. So this one's a little bit further away. Our last one was in July of 1947. His name was Frederick Elmer Kappen. He was 30. Wait. What? 1947? 19... Oh, shoot. Typo. <laughs> 1974. Messy. I tend to be... I was a... like, damn. <laughs> Every time. Didn't this happen in your last Every case time. you did? <laughs> I was like, what? Why yeah. are we in the 50s? Shut up. Yes, it did. Okay, it happened. I'm yeah. sorry. I typed in 47. I get a little dyslexic sometimes. It's all good. We forgive you. All right. The last one was in 1974. July 1974. Right then. That was Christman. Now we are in May 12th, 1975. Gotcha. We're following. All right. All right. Not time sorry, traveling guys. here. We're good. No time travel. All right, this is Frederick Elmer Kappen. He was the guy who was murdered. He's 32 years old. He was found, again, on Ocean Beach, but this time he was on the beach. He was right behind a sand dune. He was found by a hiker. His body was described as he was about six feet tall, probably about 150 pounds. He, he was fully clothed and everything. His jacket and his shirt were completely soaked in blood. And it appeared that his body had been drugged about 20 feet on the beach. Hmm. Which was also weird because nobody else had been drugged. Everybody else had just been murdered and just kind of left where they were. Yeah, but this guy was behind a sand dune, right? So it was like they tried to, like, hide the body, I guess. Yeah, so I think maybe wherever he was before, it was just a little too open. So the guy moved. I got you. I'm not sure. Okay, that makes makes sense. It's terrible, (laughs) but it makes sense. As if the beach isn't just, like, open. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know why this guy was drugged. I, it didn't say why. It just said that they just they noticed there were drag marks in the sand. Gotcha. He was also stabbed several times, just like our other victims, but this time it was more directly towards his heart. He was from Washington. He had family. He had a sister who lived in Port Angeles, Washington. He was also a Navy corpsman. Hey, shout out so, to our yeah. Navy vets and active members. Yeah. Yeah. Um... I was in the Navy, in case anybody wanted to know. But uh, I was not a corpsman. That's all right. But I appreciate my my fellow naval people. Um, I appreciate all the Navy folks out there. Cynthia, we see you. Yeah. Yeah, we see you. (laughs) 
Yeah, so he was a Navy corpsman. He did fight in Vietnam, and he oh, actually damn. received a... Oh, oh. <laughs> there have been some, like, weird noises happening back there, like a little squirrel's eating, like, some crackers or something. I don't know what kind of noises are happening, but I'm here. Where you're at? Nobody else can probably... Oh, my chair is, I mean, everything in this place I'm staying in. On the headphones or, like, in small town USA? No, in my headphones. Oh. It's one of you guys. Oh, I've been moving a lot. Yeah, I'm sorry. Totally and yeah, my chair. chair is pretty squeaky, too. I had to cut out some sounds last time because I kept, like, reclining it backwards and moving around. So it might it oh, might okay. be that. It might be Kylie. I'm just in a, like, kitchen, like, high chair. Oh, high chair? Because, okay. like, I was... I was hearing all these noises. Yeah, it's like a tall and then, chair. I got gotcha. And then T, like, goes, oh, you know, or you did whatever you said to the reaction to that. And I was like, whoa, wait, because I was hearing all these noises. I got gotcha. you. Okay. No, it's probably just us squeak squeaking in our chairs. Don't mind it. It's all good. I'll cut it out. <laughs> okay. All right. So, anyway, so he was a recipient of a commend- commendation medal because he had saved four men while they were under fire in Vietnam. So he was a war hero. Get it, my dude. Uh, After his time in the Navy, he did become a registered nurse in San Francisco. So he was, he was a, you know, he seemed like a decent human being. He was a nurse. He was a war Yeah, just like a guy that cares about other people. Yeah, like, like no need for him to be getting murdered. But unfortunately, his life was cut short at also a very young age, 32 years old. Brutally murdered on the yes. beach, on Ocean Beach. Dude, he'd been through so much already at 32. I know, that's so heartbreaking, like, to go through that much and then just be fucking killed at the hands of some psychopath. Yeah, agreed. With such a good heart, such a good, like, caring, like, he got a freaking medal because he helped save somebody. He became a nurse to continue help saving people. Yeah. Like, oh, that's, oh, Very sad stuff. Stupid. And so, guys, I did. I tried to, like, get as much information about the victims on this one since we don't really know who the murderer is. But it didn't have much to say. It had a lot to say about, like, the first two victims. But it kind of started running short on information with these other victims. So I'm trying to give you as much as I can about them. That's okay. Um, but it didn't say much about his family either. He was really close with his sister, I think, and, um, and his grandparents. But other than that... Unfortunately, with a lot of these stories, they tend to talk more about, like, the murderer side of it and less about the victims, which is unfortunate. And honestly, it's what we're kind of trying to do with this whole podcast is talk more about the victims and less about the fucked up people that did it because they're not the ones who deserve the attention. Well, yeah, um, I mean, and we can't really give any information about the actual murderer, so that's good, but... Yeah, that's true. You do what you can do. Um, It's all good. But there just unfortunately wasn't a lot of information about their personal lives, but I've, I've tried to give as much as I found. Yeah, no, you're doing, doing great. All right. And so we are going to go ahead and we're going to move on. We have our fifth victim. This was Harold Goldberg, and he was 66 years old. What? Uh, yeah, this was the oldest one out of all of them. This is like a stray from the M.O. there. Yeah, for real. Yeah. Damn, they were all like 30s and then it was like 66, which is terrible. It makes me so sad when like old people get murdered. Like it's fucked up. It is fucked up. Like that's already like a vulnerable human being because of age and you're just gonna like fucking take somebody's grandpa like stupid. Agreed. Anyway. Yeah, so he was 66, which was a 
big difference from our other victims. Everybody else was around their 30s, 20 or late 20s. And this murder took place about a month after, or they found the body of this this person about a month after they found the body of Captain. So this one was also a lot closer to the last one than the other ones they had been seeing. The other ones had like quite a bit of months in between them. So that was interesting. Uh, this guy was found at Lincoln Park Golf Course, which was also in the Golden Gate Park. So again, not very far. All of these were like super close by each other. Um, he was 10 yards off of a trail and he was found by a hiker and he was also slashed across his neck and his pants were unzipped. So we're not sure what that was about. He wasn't like completely derobed or anything, but his pants were unzipped, which none of the other guys were like that. So I don't really know what happened there. His body actually had been decomposing for a while. So it took them a while to find him, I think, because he was down in some, like, brush area. And so it's... they. I got you. So they found him, like you said, a month after, but it had, like, possibly been longer. Yeah. They just found him after a yeah, month? Yeah, okay. because he had already been decomposing. So it seemed like that he had sense. been there okay. for several weeks before he was found. I got you. Yeah. Okay. And so Goldberg, he was a Swedish sailor. He wasn't in the Navy. He was more like a merchant marine. Um, and so he had traveled all over. He would stop in all these different ports with his work. And he became a citizen in August of 1955. He became a citizen in 1955. And that is really all that I know about Harold Goldberg. Uh, unfortunately, there was not a lot of information about him. Probably because he was, you know, he was a merchant marine. He constantly traveled. So he, yeah, he wasn't sense. really in one stationary place for a long time. So that is yeah. all the information I have about him. Now, so that was all of the victims, the like known victims. The cops did about about when we got to uh, Klossman, they or Kloss Chrisman was when they they finally did start connecting these and like, hey, these are all very similar. They're all what we think to be gay men. They're all in this community and they're all very close, like uh, proximity to each other. So they did already start thinking, like, we have a serial killer on our hands. Um, there wasn't a lot of media coverage still, though. Like, the Chronicle had put some things, but it was very vague. Like, even the first victim barely got, I think it said that he barely got, like, three paragraphs in the Chronicle when they first found him. And, hmm. and okay. it, yeah. And so just, like, not a lot of coverage. Uh, there was a gay paper that was called The Centennial that did do a lot more um, coverage on it towards the end uh, to like kind of be like, hey, people of the gay community, there is a serial killer out there and he is targeting gay people. Yeah. But the main news source, The Chronicle, hadn't really been saying a whole lot about anything really. So. Which is stupid. Yeah. And so the police aren't getting, like, any information at all still. Uh, they finally, five months after that last victim was found, they did release a composite sketch of who they thought the suspect was. And they got this information because there actually were three survivors of attacks from the doodler, which makes you think to yourself, why the fuck is this a cold case? <laughs> If three people right, yeah. experience something and and they don't know who it is, but they so that that goes in that plays into again the fact that people did not want to speak up because one it was mostly illegal to be gay, 
and people were losing jobs because of being gay. People could lose wives and stuff if they were secretly gay. So just many reasons why people w weren't coming forward. You would think, though, at this point, like, now that it's, I mean, it's still obviously an issue with people's opinions on gays and, you know, LGBTQ community, but you would think at this point that, I mean, I guess maybe that's why they opened it up in 2018, because now they're, that it's more, like, accepting or accepted. Yeah. People can be more open, I guess. Yeah. And, um... Yeah, I mean, you that's what I've thought with this whole thing is, like, why wouldn't the victims come forward now that it's reopened? But there were three survivors, and they did talk to the police, and they uh, gave them enough information to put together a composite sketch. And all three of them had similar descriptions. But, uh, unfortunately, they do think that at least two of them have died. And the one who they know, this is, this is kind of frustrating. The one that they do know, he is still alive. And he's living in San Francisco still. And they have spoke to him. But he still doesn't want to come forward. Hmm. I wonder why. Yeah, I don't know. Um, the description that they gave the police. So each, each of these three guys had given their own separate descriptions. Because uh, all these incidents happen at different times. And they came up with the, the picture of him, which you can find an image of him that we will post, the, what they think he was, the composite sketch. Uh, he was thought to have been a black man between the ages of 19 and 22, about 5'10 to 6 feet tall, pretty slim. And he always wore like a navy watch cap, which is like a beanie. Hmm. And so that was the composite sketch that they gave. All right. Yeah. So let's talk just a little bit about the survivors. So... The first survivor, the reason, so this is going to make a little bit of sense, was thought to have been um, a diplomat, a European diplomat that was here in the States. And so at this time, you know, being somebody of such like high, like being known, it's understandable that at least then he wouldn't want to come forward. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. His was the most severe uh, incident. He met who we think is the doodler. One night after hours where people, after they'd leave the bar, they would go and get food. And so he was at a place called the Upper Market Restaurant. And he saw this guy. And this is how they know now that um, the guy would doodle sketches is because these survivors mention him doodling. Okay. So he was he was sketching and drawing pictures and he showed him. And, uh, he was sketchy. Yeah. And uh, they hit it off, and so they went back to the diplomat's apartment. When they get to his apartment, the um, suspect goes into the bathroom, and he's in there for a little while. So the, the diplomat is like, hey, you all right in there? And like, he's like, I'm fine, you know, whatever. And so he goes, and he like sits down. He has his like back towards the bathroom. Well, the guy eventually emerges, and he must have not like had his weapon on him. I don't know. And maybe he like swiped a steak knife from... The restaurant he does stab the diplomat six times Jeez. but being that it was a steak knife it broke off the the blade broke off from the handle of course and the uh the diplomat or not the diplomat but the the suspected doodler takes off so he was able to see him like he's seen yeah. him well enough to know who he is like they were at his apartment at a restaurant and he got stabbed so that is just wild to me like now like why wouldn't you come out now <laughs> but 
Yeah, like, he knows who this guy is. Yeah. But I'm sure he has his reasons, you know? And maybe the But I mean, is any political career worth that? Come on, man. He's probably really old by now. Well, yeah. We're talking, like, 70s or 80s. Like, at that point, like... Is this gonna be, like, a freaking deathbed confession or something? Like, tell us who this man is. Yeah, I I don't know. But they... So that is the the one who is still alive. And he is still known to be in the, the area... And they have spoken to him. So the the police have. The journalist that's kind of trying to uncover this on his own does not know. Because even though he's talking to the detective, there's still stuff that he's not allowed to tell him. So in the podcast, you can, t- you can hear them like kind of bantering with him to try and get information out of him. But he's just like, no, 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 I can't tell you that. So. Fuck. Yeah. Okay. So there's, there's a lot of hush-hush about the case because... They don't want to put out information that, one, would put anybody in danger. Two, would cause, like, the suspect to, like, flee and be like, oh, no, you know? I'm going to take off. I guess so, So they got to really keep everything under wraps until they have, like, solid grounds to, like, really start opening stuff up. And since the diplomat has sworn them to secrecy, like, he did not want to testify and he does not want people to know, they can't say anything about what happened, even if they they know who it is. (sighs) They just have to, like, find proof that he did it. That's annoying, but okay. Yeah, exactly. Like, solid proof. And so this just gets even more frustrating. I just want you guys to know, before before the end of this, it gets very frustrating. The only thing that we can, like, you know, hope for is that it being an open case now, that maybe it'll all get solved. That's what we can hope for. Because it does get very frustrating. And I understand that during this time period, they did not have nearly the amount of technology we have these days. Yeah. But it is still... It just yeah. seems very sloppy on the police's part, and messy. They must have been learning from Cassie. <laughs> they were. They were. They were like. They took Cassie's Law Academy. <laughs> they did because they are messy. Like you just, we just, I just like <laughs> while I'm like listening and learning and reading all this stuff, I'm just like, why, why? I just keep asking myself, why? <laughs> I, w- I would have done this too. Why are they so messy? <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> right. Oh, shit. <laughs> I love mm-hmm. you. I'm just I'm just roasting. Uh-huh. It's all good. Uh-huh. I'm roasting you and payback for roasting my yeah. fiance earlier. <laughs> yeah. Standing up for Kai Kai. Uh, fine. <laughs> fine. So anyway, so the diplomat is alive, and maybe he'll come fo- forward one day. That's what we can hope for, because he seems like the 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 like link. Like he is the key. So I don't know. We'll see. Diplomat. Yeah. We're calling upon you. Right. The Queer Fears podcast requests you to come yeah, up, come forward. speak your words, come help, <laughs> retribution. Yeah. Help, help us, help us. Yeah. Help me, Tom Cruise. Help me, Tom Cruise. So the other two people, uh, one was thought to have been an entertainer or like an actor or something. He was a public figure of some sort. And then uh, there was another guy who, this one's kind of weird, um, he lived at the same apartment that the diplomat did, and the the guy, the suspect, showed up at his apartment at, like, 3 a.m. and, like, knocked on his door, and he lets, he, like, opens the door, and he, like, comes in and attacks him and, like, ties him up. A bit aggressive, but okay. I guess he starts yelling and, like, throwing a fit, and security gets called or something, and so the dude learns of just leaving, and he doesn't do anything to him. Then there was another person. So they said three. So I'm assuming the entertainer actor was this person, but I didn't, like, see something that said, ex- like, 
specifically yeah. this was the person. And it might have been said in the podcast, but I was just listening, and I was listening like I was binge listening. So I got a lot of information uh, at once, but I'm assuming that it was the actor-entertainer guy. So one of the survivors was in bed with this person and or was about to get in bed with this person and a knife fell out of his jacket like sleeve oh my gosh totally casual i'd be like all right yeah that's normal and so like he took off like he's like bye so he didn't get attacked or anything either but he saw the guy and the guy had a knife cool yeah all right yeah so those were the the survivors and they do think that both the entertainer and possibly that guy from the apartment are already deceased. But definitely the gotcha. diplomat is alive still because they have spoke to him. Come on, my dude. Right? Come on. Jeez. Tell us who it was. Okay. And so this is where it gets wild on, like, the police's part, which is insane to me. Okay? So after the sketch was released, so we're talking this is, like... 1976 is probably where we are now. Okay. Because the murder stopped in 1965. Uh, you sure it's not 47? Yes. You're so mean. <laughs> I love you, though. gotta be so mean. <laughs> um, but anyways, yes, I'm sure. 1976. So right, then. I trust the, you. Trust has been restored. <laughs> so the, the sketch was released, right? We talked about that. They start obviously getting a lot of people calling in now that the sketch has been released. So they're getting like tons of leads and stuff. One incident that happens and they do arrest the guy, but like nothing was ever said about it after this. Like, I don't know what the hell a guy walks into a gay bar in the Tenderloin district with a sketchbook asking to doodle people. And <laughs> has a butcher Here, knife. Here's your sign. Yeah, and has a butcher knife on him. Damn. What? <laughs> Literally, Jeff Foxworthy would be so upset. Here's your sign, right? And so all I saw was that this guy ended up getting arrested because he was like, he like uh, was aggressive with the police or something. But that's it. Like, it just falls off after that. It's just like he was a suspect. <laughs> A suspect with a butcher's knife and a sketchbook for someone you're looking for called the doodler. Right? Like, what? So, I don't know. How much more obvious can you get? Yeah. And so, there, and so the, the police officer now, that is the detective that's working on it now, and he's, like, going through these notes and stuff, he's like, there's a lot of missing stuff. Like, I don't know if they just didn't take notes and, like, actually file a full report or what's happening here, but there's some missing stuff. And uh, so, I don't know what happens with that guy. And then, so another incident that happens is there's a secretary who calls, and she's like, hey, she works at a psychiatry office. She's like, hey, I think that we have a patient here who is this guy in this picture. And, like, I guess because we're getting so many, like, influx of calls and stuff, it kind of just gets swept under the radar. And so she gets frustrated, and she calls back a second time, and is like, hey, I think that this is this guy. And she gives She's them... Like, no one's listening to me. Hello. Yeah, and she gives them his name. And then the second time, she gives them his license plate number. And so, like... So, oh. so, so you're just like, okay. Shouldn't you check this guy out? Did they do anything with this information? Oh, oh, it gets better. So, 
after the secretary reaches out to them, the psychiatrist himself calls and is like, hey, I have a client who might be this guy. He uh, struggles with being gay and he's got a lot of like hate about it. He also has a sketchbook he carries around with him and a butcher knife and he likes to draw. <laughs> no, it gets worse. No, he admits how? to the murders. What? What the hell? He tells them this client admits to the murders. What the fuck? Yeah. Are you yeah. serious? So, yeah. So they do pull in the suspect, and they, they interrogate well, him. Well, thank goodness for that, I guess. At least they pulled him in. Yeah. Right? But of course he's like, no, I'm not it, that person. Yes, I was struggling with, like, my identity. He's like, just kidding. I didn't mean what I said in therapy. <laughs> right. No, he told them that his sessions in therapy were helping and that he doesn't. he's not gay anymore, and he's actually seeing a woman now. Oh, my gosh. What the fuck? What the actual fuck fuck? Like, what? Yeah. Yeah, so they, they again, they have absolutely nothing to hold him and say, okay, this is the guy. And, like, they have no solid evidence. Like, I, I assume, and which this, is, this part's kind of crazy to me because we see on movies and stuff, psychiatrists record their sessions. Yeah. So I'm like, did they not do that back then? Which is possible that they didn't. Yeah, I guess but so. But, like, holy shit, like, because that would be a confession. But then I guess, like, you can't really prove that that's the person on the tape either, so... And there's, like, HIPAA laws and stuff, so I don't even know if they could, like... Can they release that? If it's, like... I don't know, you're the psychologist person here, so, like, could they release that if you confession, like, a, a therapy session? Like, for privacy, medical privacy? So it's funny you ask yes, that. Yes, they can. If you're... If you are a danger to yourself or others, they're allowed to That's talk. right. That's fair. That's true, yeah. Yeah, and so, actually, at this time, though, that law had not even been put out. Oh. So, this psychiatrist, so that's even worse, though. This psychiatrist was risking his job. So that he didn't have to say anything, and if he did say it, then, okay. Shit, that sucks. Dang. Yeah. Because it was shortly after that that they actually started coming up with the laws about privacy and it being something that, like Kylie said, either a danger to yourself or somebody else. Okay. That you can you can say something. That's crazy. I didn't think it was that recent. That's crazy. Yeah. So um. So they did not catch the perpetrator. They possibly know exactly who it is is the psychiatrist still alive <laughs> i know right that's a lot of work the, the information they're like we're missing some stuff here because all they have in the records that they have said anyways to to like the journalists and stuff is that the doctor's name was dr priest and they know the the hospital he worked at it was highland hospital and so they've tried to like dig into like records and stuff mm-hmm. to find a doctor priest, and they just keep coming up short. Like they're not finding it. Um, That's so crazy, doctor priest. Are you out there? They're not finding doctor priest and the diplomat. We are summoning you. Queer fears has requested your presence. Right. So they're still working on that. Um, the cold case detective is. He's still trying to dig into this doctor priest to see if they can find who it was exactly. And uh, I saw him one. Um, video I watched that it's possible that his name got like it isn't priest that's pressed and maybe it just doesn't look like it and so because I guess there was a doctor pressed at Highland but that source did not come from 
this Kevin Fagan who's working directly with the cold case detectives. So take that with a grain of salt. I got you. Okay. Because if they haven't mentioned it, I'm not sure that's accurate. I got you. But it's possible. It's possible. So, um, yeah, they're still they're still looking into that. They clearly have um, the diplomat on speed dial. <laughs> like, <laughs> where's this guy? And they think that the suspect who they thought before is still alive and living openly as a gay man Oof. in the community. Cheese. Cheese and rice. Yeah. Cheese and rice. Yeah. And they they also think that they they know for a fact obviously those five were connected, but they think that up to like fourteen people could have been murdered by him. Damn. That's crazy. So yeah. So that's that's the story of the, the doodler. And again, it is a reopened case. It is a cold case, and it, it never got closed. It just went cold. If anybody out there knows this diplomat or this psychiatrist... Hit us up. <laughs> hit us up. Hit yeah, them up. A, Let's go. Uh, uncle or a grandpa <laughs> or something that was a psychiatrist at Highland in San Francisco. Dr. Uh, Prest? Priest? Something like that? Priest? Prest? One of those What's your two? last name? Let us know. <laughs> we, need, we need to yeah. contact this homie. We need to contact this diplomat. Someone knows who this yeah. guy is. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think that they that on the podcast, um, the the reporter guy said that the detective told the diplomat that they wanted to talk to him as well. So it might happen in the future. I hope so. That could be a breakthrough because he tells a journal if he talks to a journalist, then. I don't know how much privacy he's going to have. Right, yeah, no, but for sure, for sure. For sure. <laughs> we shall see what happens. Um, I'm going to keep my eyes out about it because I'm very interested. Yeah. And again, if you want a lot more in-depth information, go check out that Doodler podcast by Kevin Fagan because he goes super in because, like I said, he's working with the cold case detective. So he's getting information straight from the source. All the information he can get anyways. Yeah. Um, yeah go check it out. We'll, so yeah. we'll link it to um, in these show notes for you to go check out that podcast as well. So we'll see. I'm rooting for him. I'm rooting for Kevin. I'm rooting for Sam. Cunningham. I'm rooting for all of them because like, that's crazy. And I'm sure these... The families that are still alive would like some closure. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, sure. Definitely. Like, it, it does suck, though, that this man, like, has gotten away with these brutal killings. And that they've had so many, like, strong leads. Right. And even if we do find him, he's already old. He's already got to live his life when so many people did not get to live their lives. Yeah, no, same. Yeah. I mean, but it's never too late. We've been prosecuting Nazi doctors still, so let's go. Let's get the doodler. He... Yeah, no, he definitely needs to still get caught. I feel like this is something out of, like, a Batman movie. Right. <laughs> like, the doodler sounds like a villain in Batman. I thought it was inappropriate, so that's It fun. does sound inappropriate, but it wasn't. <laughs> it does sound inappropriate. I mean, it was still inappropriate, I guess, but... Even though he was leading... He, w- he was leading men away to probably do some doodling. Mm. Not wrong. Not wrong. Not wrong. But not really. Like, they thought. They, they thought he was, was, but then it... But it didn't sorry, actually happen. No. Everyone's worse than yeah. nightmare. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, take note. Do not 
get intrigued by some cute guy in the corner drawing your picture because it's creepy. Don't doodle with strangers. Yeah. Don't do it. It's creepy. Don't, Stranger don't danger. Do if they're sitting across the bar and they're sketching a picture of you, don't, don't be no. intrigued. Like if you're sitting and having a conversation and they're like, hey, can I just sketch you? Maybe that's a little less creepy. But if they've pinned yeah, you, waitress, you know, across the room, draws you on your receipt, that's fine. But yeah, don't doodle with creepy men in corners. Yeah. No, no, don't do that. <laughs> and then leave with them. Oof. Yeah. Oof. Big, big oof. oof. Yeah, big oof. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that was an interesting case. Very much so. Thanks for giving that us. I hope they find that, homie. Yeah. Thank you. That was that was interesting. And I, I fully anticipate that my co-host here will go and listen to that podcast. Yes. Yes. It's only got like eight, uh, like eight episodes and they're like 35, 40 minutes long. I need a new podcast because I've, I've binged all of Dr. Death and I'm caught up on Morbid. <laughs> and so I need, I need something else to binge because I just sit at home all day. So, well, Def, Def, go check that out. Look up the doodler <laughs> on your pa- your platforms you listen on. Yeah, I'm actually excited. I haven't listened to the very last episode of that podcast, so there's probably some interesting stuff in it that I didn't include in here. But I just didn't have the time to listen to it. On that note, please, please, please go follow us on any podcast you listen to. Subscribe to us. Our subscriber count helps us out. Yeah. Also, consider leaving a review and a rating. It doesn't have to be anything in depth. You can literally just say, hey, I listen to your podcast. Leave a rating. We're good to go. And individuals who do that still are in a running to receive a free Queer Fear sticker designed by yours truly, Cassie, from the podcast. So... Please consider doing that for us. It really helps us out. Go follow us on our social media channels. We post updates there. And so go follow us on Facebook at Queer Fears Podcast. You can also follow us on Instagram at Queer Fears Podcast. Those are the two we primarily use. So please go check us out. Other than that, remember, there's always going to be assholes out here that may sit in a corner and creepishly doodle you and then take you home and murder you. So don't doodle with strangers. But... Stay queer and never live in fear. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.